Hey, Scene Vault listeners, are you a NASCAR collector? Well, we've got two great magazines for you. First up, we've got the 75 Greatest Drivers. Last season, NASCAR added 25 drivers to its Greatest Drivers list to celebrate their diamond anniversary, and we partnered with them to help tell their legendary tales. This 116-page magazine is packed with the stories that made each of these drivers the greatest we have ever seen. Printed in full color on glossy paper and delivered to fans inside a poly bag to protect its contents, this magazine will sit on the coffee tables of NASCAR fans for years to come. There are also several different covers to collect, including unique designs for Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, and more. We've also got a few remaining copies of the 75th Anniversary Magazine, featuring hundreds of pages of photos, profiles, iconic stories, and much, much more covering every single year of NASCAR. Both of these are shipping in high-quality poly bags to protect your collector's item. Get yours today at dailydownforce.com shop. That's dailydownforce.com shop. Hey, y'all. Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no. You know, I think they were, they had, the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, dailydownforce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item packed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com.
Hello, this is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to another episode of the Scene Vault Podcast, where the Super Bowl is the NFL's version of the Daytona 500, not the other way around. Now, this week, Steve Wade is in Daytona, and Steve has not missed a Daytona Speed Weeks since 1975. So, yeah, he's down in Florida. He wasn't able to make the podcast this week, but I have lined up just an amazing substitute co-host. Rick, I don't even know how to introduce you, man. With me is my substitute co-host, Rick Mast. Hey, listen, man. It's Number one, it's an honor to be here. Thanks, Rick. Number two, you know, fill it in for Wade. Sometimes you, you, you fill in for people and you, you look at things and you're thinking, you know what, they're mighty big shoes to fill. But the way I look at this, next week, Wade's going to have some very big shoes to fill. Amen, brother. Replacing me. That's, the way, that's the way I look at it. Now, first things first, it has been a while since we've heard an episode of the MassCast, your <laughs> podcast that you're doing with your son, Ricky. Now, he's got a pretty good excuse. You know, we started the MassCast, well, last year, right, right this time a yeah. year ago, Daytona, yeah. and we did it all year, and we got towards the end of the year. Well, Ricky, as most people now know, he, he's a social media guy with the Atlanta Braves, so all the stuff you see the Braves putting out, for the most part, that's Ricky's stuff. Well, they came to him in the fall uh, with an idea, and or he went to the – I don't know how the idea happened. But anyhow, the, he now does the official Atlanta Braves podcast. So when he started doing the, the Atlanta Braves podcast, well, guess what? The old Rick dad mass cast thing it kind of took a back seat. But we are, we are working on some stuff to try to get strategized here how to uh, make time for him and me to get the mass cast back going again. In fact, we're trying to get it up one up – this week before Daytona. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But his time, his his uh, his job description changed. He's got more duties there now with MLB. He actually works for MLB, uh, assigned to the Braves. I think that's the correct terminology. I think it's yeah. where it really works. But he's just living it up and having a ball down there, interviewing you know John Smoltz and Hank Aaron and everybody, all those legends with the Braves. He just loves it. Now, i got to tell you, Ricky, if you're listening to this podcast, you might have interviewed Hank Aaron a couple of weeks ago for your podcast. But I got to tell you, I'm interviewing Rick Mast. That's right. I'll take that trade That's any right. day. That's exactly, right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Before I get into the interview that Steve Wade and I did with Terry Labonte, the second segment of that interview, I got to thank our Patreon supporters. We've got a few more signed up. Charles Martin. Eddie Greer III, Malicia Sorensen, and Jason Rudd for their support. Now, Jason, I did not know this, Jason, Ricky Rudd is his uncle, and Jason also ran a few Bush Series races back in the day. I did not know that. The Rudd family runs a little bit deep, you know, with Bill Champion and all yeah. that yeah. I mean, from years and years ago. If you study the history of Ricky and his, his family and all that, it's, it's pretty neat. He doesn't get, ta- you know, that's one of those deals the family never really got talked about much, but you know, the, the, the roots in the Rudd family, they run pretty deep for racing they really do so thank you guys for your new support also mary egan and andy pentenberg increased their support and over on paypal donald birdsong and avery brew sent some help on paypal so every little bit helps and on patreon we're going to be doing a few things over there to kind of attract some supporters going to be doing new content sneak previews, early access to the podcast, that kind of thing. So check it out, patreon.com slash the scene vault podcast or paypal.me slash the scene vault podcast. Man, that's a lot of words. 
It's a lot of words, Rick. Well, I'm hoping that words will translate into dollars. <laughs> into dollars, okay. I'm begging I'm here, you, man. I'm, I'm begging. You, brother. I'm with you, brother. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> Night day for you win the championship. You're in New York. I saw you there, of course, and we chatted a lot. You were getting much more comfortable around the media at this time. Now, you told me a story. I didn't ask you. You told me the story. Oh, God, do you remember it? (laughs) (laughs) That's scary. But I, anyway, I just want to verify that my memory is still intact. Am I to die? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You received $150,000, I think, yeah. for winning the championship. Yep. yep. And Ben Hagen asked you to lend it to him to keep the team afloat, more or less. Yep. Which you did. Yep. I don't know if you ever got it back, but be that as may, that that's a true story. It was a true story, yeah. 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 And, uh, I didn't get paid for the second half of the year. Good grace. And then, and then uh, I didn't get the point fund money. And so uh, we went down to Daytona for the next year, the start of next year. And, and uh, man, I, I got I got to win this Bud shootout here because I, I, I got to pay some taxes. <laughs> so, we played, so we won the Bud shootout. Wow. So, we yeah. got, they, so they were able to, to, to pay me going forward. But you know what? It, and I, Bill and I were still friends, and and uh, ended up I left the team, and I ended up I went back and drove for him, and uh, it was just you know what, I wouldn't have traded for anything. Absolutely. I wouldn't have changed anything. I'm sure, you know he he gave me a chance of a lifetime. Right. And you know our our team his his business he was an oil business, and the oil industry had taken just a terrible turn, and he actually went bankrupt. His company went bankrupt, and. And you know we needed the money to to, to race, so I mean I w- wasn't going to be one of these that you know just went to court or did some kind of stupid thing, right? You know it's like hey you know what we're all in this together, and uh, that's a noble attitude. I just I just felt like it's just it was okay, you know. Yeah. Well, could, I got the trophy. It, <laughs> it could have come apart at the seams, but yet you got oh, the trophy at the end of the year. We did. We got the championship. We got the trophy, and uh, and in the next year, the next year in '85, we started off like I said, we won the Bud Shootout, and went back to Riverside and won the race out there, and and uh, we were second or took the lead in the points right about that time in '85. And I really felt that we were going to have a shot at winning the championship again or yeah. being a contender wow. for it. And unfortunately, we went through a stretch. We I think we lost engines like seven weeks in a row. The, the next <laughs> wow. race I finished was in Richmond, I finished second. And uh, so we went through that stretch there. We still finished the top 10 in points, but it, you know, it, it knocked us out of the con- contention for a championship. But uh, but yeah, that's a true story, so yeah. But it was, it was okay. <laughs> now, at what point did you make the decision to move on? Well, we were, it was in 86. Yeah. And uh, we started off strong. It's not- it, it was in 1986, we started off strong. Uh, Went to uh, Daytona. We'd switched from Chevys to Oldsmobiles. Went to Daytona. We finished second in the 500. Went to Rockingham and won the race there. Yeah. And uh, we're off to a great start uh, right there at the top of the points and and everything. And then, uh, I don't know, it just seemed like the wheels fell off and we had some, you know, runs that weren't so good. Had some engine failure stuff uh, along the way. 
turned wrecked and turned over at Riverside out there in July. Uh, and Billy and I were coming back from Daytona uh, July 4th. And we were sitting on an airplane beside each other, and I said, hey, listen, I got a chance to go drive for Junior Johnson. And uh, I still had a contract with Billy, you know, get, probably even get a court battle. It probably yeah. wouldn't have been that good, but but uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, I still had a contract with him, and I said, "How about you let me out of that contract and uh, let me go drive for Junior?" And I said, "You can get somebody else, bring in somebody else that maybe can bring sponsorship money." And uh, and he said, uh, "Who would you get?" And I said, "I'd get Davy Allison." I said because he's he's got a uh, a good name. I know you know Bobby's trying to get him in a get him in a car, and, and I think he'd be perfect. And uh, he said, "Gosh, I don't know if I want a, a rookie. If I could afford that or not, tear too much stuff, you know." I said, "Well, he's good, man. You know." And anyway, so he said, "Okay." He said, "Well, I'll let you, I'll let you go out any contract, and you know you can go drive for Junior." And he said, under one condition, will you come back? No kidding. Yep. I did not know that. Yep. And I said, yes, I will. Wow. Yep. And I went back. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so, you yep. did. Yeah. Sure yep. did. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Now, how well did you mesh with Junior? Because Junior has a my way or the highway yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. attitude. And you've always seemed to be more laid back, take whatever comes. You know that kind of thing. How well did you mesh with him? It was okay. You know, it was disappointing because we finished third in the points one year. We finished fourth in the points one year. We won some races, but I really felt like we were going to win a championship. You know, and I was yeah. so disappointed that I didn't win a championship at at juniors because I mean we had we had the stuff. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he had they had the equipment, they had the stuff, and uh, and we uh, we just never were able to get. Get the championship, and uh, uh, at that year that I started driving for him, we went to uh, North Wilkesboro and tested, and that was the time when you remember they had Daryl Waltrip and Neil Bonnet the year before. Yeah, and then that year they went to one team, but they still kept a lot of the people, and so I had they said, "Hey, we're going to test at Wilkesboro." When you drove for junior, that was you better run good at Wilkesboro. That right. was that was not option. <laughs> that was that was mandatory. And so, and so we'd go up there and we'd test and test and test and make sure we run ran good at, at Wilkesboro. So I went up there. So we had uh, two short track cars. We had two haulers. We had two crew chiefs. We had two engine builders. And. Uh, Two transporters, one was parked up there. That was back before, you know, Wilkesboro had a garage area. Right. You know, you parked on the on the uh, pit road out there. You know, basically, yeah. the truck was backed up yeah. the pit road. So I walked down uh, to the one 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 of them, and uh, it was in, going in turn one there. And I drive that one. The other truck was parked at the other end of the straightaway, other end of pit road. So I'd get out of the car and I'd walk down there and I'd drive that one. And I'd get down there and they'd say, "What they say about us? What are they doing?" You know. So I get back up there. And the other one is, "What are them was doing down there?" You know? And I thought, "Home." Oh, I, I was walking up halfway down that pit road. I thought, "What in the hell have I got myself into?" You know. And it because it was, it wasn't 
you know, between the two teams there trying to mesh them together, it wasn't, it took a while to get that worked right. out. And, right. and uh, you know, we finally did, but it was like, oh God, I thought to myself right then, I thought, boy, I don't know about this deal, <laughs> you know, so, but uh, anyway, we, and you know, the cars ran fantastic on the short tracks. I mean, they were great short track cars. They ran good and, and uh, ran good on the big tracks. And uh, But, you know, it was okay. It was it was different. The juniors, you know, he's got that real kind of, you don't know how to take him sometimes, you know, because he's like, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. say much. You know, yeah. He doesn't yeah. say much. Yeah. And then sometimes all of a sudden he'll say something. You'll be going out to eat or something. When you go out and eat or something, he's a different person from the race away from the track. Yeah, right. he was funny. He'd laugh. <laughs> he was he was a character, but at that track, man, he's got that that face, that serious face, and and, uh, and he was serious. I mean, you know, he was that was he had a he had a good team, you know, for yeah. a long time. We well, moved along from there. I think Richard Jackson and yeah. back to Billy. Yep, for yep. a couple more mm-hmm. years, and not the greatest period no, of time. No, that was that was not the best best deal. Drove for Richard Jackson that one year, and we went to Daytona. We finished second in the five hundred. I thought. Man, I think I might like this team. You know? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and we ended up had a, a couple of was some pretty good runs, you know, at times, and uh, weren't weren't real consistent, not as consistent as I was used to being. You yeah, know? and uh, and so then I had a chance to go back with Billy, and Billy's team manager had been talking to me, and and they had gotten uh, some pretty good sponsorship, but you know. And, so anyway, I went back to them after the next year in 91. And we had a lot of the same people back, you know. We just kind of couldn't ever get it where we needed to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, just weren't, weren't as competitive as we should have been. And uh, and about that same time, the technology was starting to change in the sport, you know. And, and uh, we were just behind. And and it was hard to get – we had, you know, we had a few good runs. We had some good runs, but uh, – had a shot at winning a couple of races, but you know, I tell you what, to, to win races, you got to you got to have more than one shot at it or two right. shots at it. You know, you got to be consistent and run good a lot, and and uh, so we just kind of couldn't ever really get it where we needed to be, and, and uh, so it was a little disappointing, you know, that we didn't because uh, I really felt like you know I felt like our engines were good, you know, I felt like our cars were going to be good, and, right. uh, and we got in there. And, uh, we just kind of weren't, you know, weren't really where we needed to be. And then about that same time, a lot of other teams were kind of new teams were coming on. We're really outspending us, you know, money wise. And so in, in racing, if, if you don't have a, if you're not on the top and the sponsorship side of things, right. that, that buys a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of speed, you know. Did you have any doubts about your career during this point? Oh yeah. I said, man, I don't know about this deal, you know? Uh-huh. So, uh, I wasn't sure exactly uh, what was, uh, what was, you know, what was down the road. I had no idea, you know. And uh, and I just knew that right there we weren't going to just, it just, I needed to do something else. It just, we just weren't getting to where we needed to be. And, and uh, the guys at Hendrick had been talking to me about coming down there, and I thought, you know, I don't know. Uh, that looks like a high-pressure deal to me, you know, just looking at it from the outside. And they said, "No, it's not, man. It's, it's, it's you won't believe it. It's just it's really cool and laid back, and and it's 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 not what you think." And uh, and then Bud Moore, they called me and wanted me to come down there and meet with them. So 
I remember I was at Dover up there and I told Billy that I said, okay, I'm going to do something else next year, you know. And uh, so I went and uh, I went on a field trip one day and I drove down to Spartanburg <laughs> and met with Bud Moore and uh, got the tour of his shop and everything. And then I stopped back by Hendrick Motorsports and... <laughs> Yeah, Gary. I, I imagine this is sort of night and day. Yeah, and Gary, uh, Gary DeHart was there, and uh, and Jimmy Johnson, the team manager. You know, back, you know, he, Jimmy Johnson used to be the team manager. Yes, I was there, and uh, Jimmy with a Y Johnson. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. right, right, and uh, and Randy Dorton. Yeah, and so they were giving me the tour of the facility, and then Rick met us about halfway through the tour there, and finished up the tour, and so. Uh, we just, you know, it was kind of like, I, okay, that was, man, that was pretty good there and pretty interesting to see what we were up against. And, uh, cause I had never been to nobody else's shop. I had never been to another shop, you know? Uh, and so when I was at Bud Moore's, they had a contract. They wanted me to sign this contract. And I told them, I said, man, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't really do this because Kellogg's wants to go with, look at going with me to wherever. And he had Motorcraft already, you know, the sponsor locked up. Right. And I said, you know, these folks have been really good to me, so I need to see what we can figure out. So I went back to uh, to our shop there in Thomasville at Hagen's. And uh, so I went in the shop the next day, and I walked to the office there, and Pete Wright was our crew chief at the time. <laughs> we sat down. There's a couple of the guys in the office there. And I, we sat down, and I said, boys, and they knew I was going down there. And I said, you will not believe <laughs> How good we are doing with what we have. <laughs> I, said, I mean, I, I'm, I said, I'm yeah. feeling pretty good now yeah. about, you know, how we're yeah. really doing because we are not, we're, oh boy, we, we don't have near the stuff these other cats have got, you know, yeah. so. Um, so as it turned out, uh, a few weeks went by and, and uh, Jimmy Johnson called, met me at a steakhouse somewhere in Salisbury, I think, and, and, uh, put a deal together and uh, so I called the people at Kellogg's and I told them, I said, hey, uh, I uh, got a deal with Hendrick and I'm gonna go there and, and the guy said, man, that's fantastic. Who, uh, would you mind if we call them and see if we can, you know, work something out? I said, no, here's, you know, call uh, call Jimmy. And, and so they did and, and they put a deal together and so they were our sponsor for several years there yeah, at, yeah. at Hendricks. Now, you won the 1994 spring race at North Wilkesboro that year. Yeah, the first year I drove for Rick, right? Yeah. No. It's the first race you had won in like... Four years. Yeah, several yeah. years. Yeah. How big a deal was that for you? Was that a sense where, you know, I'm back on track now? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. It was definitely like a... Like a... Uh, yeah, a big relief, you know, to go out there and be able to win that race. And... Uh, so that was uh, that was good. That was that was really good. Had a good car. How comfortable were you with the Multicar team? You know what? That was really interesting because Rick had really the first Multicar team out there. Right. Uh, Junior had that one where they had Neil and Darrell. A couple of years, yeah. But for for the most part, Rick really had the first Multicar team. And you won't believe all the people that come up to me and said, "Man, I think you're making a mistake going over there." Yeah. Because you're yeah. Gonna, you, you know. Three car teams, you're going to get the worst stuff out of the three. And I said, 
well, the worst stuff out of the three there is probably not going to be too bad. <laughs> you know, I said, I, I said, I'm good with that, you know. And uh, But you know what? My brother and I, we used to have Bush Grand National teams. And we had one time we had three cars out of our shop there, you know. So we had three three teams. David Green drove for us. Yeah. Bobby drove and I drove some. And, and uh, so the multi-car team didn't bother me because I had – because that's what we did, you know. We had three cars, three teams that were still the same shop, you know. So I knew it. I knew it could work, you know. Yeah, obviously. Now Jeff Gordon was coming into his own mm-hmm. yeah. at that time, right? And I believe Ken Schrader was still there. Just where did you see yourself fitting into the the puzzle? I just I didn't really see myself. I mean, you know, I didn't really have any opinion on. It. I just I just uh, you know, we kind of. It was a multi-car team, but it was really three, kind of at the time, kind of three separate teams. You know, right. the three teams kind of did their own deals, and uh, you know, we uh, except for the engine program. And actually, back then when we started, Schrader he was getting engines for his car. Came out of Winston Salem at B and R Automotive yeah. up there. Yeah, you know, Kenny Bingham, those guys had uh, had that engine shop, and then Randy Dorton, you know, had the engines, and uh, uh, Jeff's car had my car. So. It was all kind of different, you know. Sometimes they might have different fronts and outs than we got, and it it took them a while to really to to get it to where everybody kind of was on the same page a lot. So, but it, it was it was good, you know. It was all it was good. There's nothing wrong with it. For children with chronic medical conditions, Victory Junction means friends, fun freedom. That's because we provide a medically safe environment where kids who live in a world of hospitals and doctor's visits can laugh, play, and discover all they can be, all at no cost to their families. Victory Junction inspires confidence, builds self-esteem, and changes the life of every camper who comes through our gates. Find out how you can change a child's life. Go to victoryjunction.org. Now, Rick, I want to ask about this deal where Terry talks about going the last half of the 1984 season and not getting paid. That's his championship season, not getting paid. Then there's this $150,000 transaction where Terry basically loans it to Billy Hagen, never sees it again. But there's evidently no bad blood. Terry kept driving for him in 1985 and 86, then went back to Hagen's team in 1991, 1992, and 1993. So, first things first, Rick, how would you describe Terry Labonte's personality that would allow him to do something? Well, like that? it, it, that's not surprising, Rick. Listen to that. I thought I knew all of Terry, well, most of Terry Labonte's stories. I did not know that story. Yeah. So, that tells me Terry kept that under wraps, right? Which is typical Terry Labonte. I'm going to tell you something. I tell people all the time. All through my tenure in NASCAR, Winston Cup, uh, now Xfinity Monster Cup, you know, two of the funny – if you want to have a good time and just laugh your butt off, go to the motorhome lot, find Schrader and Terry and Bobby Labonte. Really? On Saturday nights or Friday nights. <laughs> I'm telling you, the fun, those – well, Schrader, of course, everybody knows him. Oh, yeah. But you know what kind of guy he is. But Terry and Bobby – you get, especially you get them together, and we get to crowds in a little bit. They're absolutely two of the funniest individuals. I mean, it's all, it's all, I'm sure a stand-up 
comedy routine would work on HBO with those two guys. They're just, they're just, they've got that about them. But both those guys, and they were still the the, the type of guys that both of them are. And we're talking about Terry and Bobby, but here Terry specifically, uh, you know, he's, he's just one of those guys that's. He's just a good person. I mean, I don't know how to put it other than he's just a very good person, very well thought of. He, he, he's very laid back, of course, as we all know, but very strong and determined individual. And that comes from a dad, Bob. You know, Bob. Oh, somebody, yeah. We've not talked about Bob. Yeah, Bob somebody <laughs> tweeted the other day about yeah. Bob combating respect in the garage. And I, I tweeted out, I said, Bob was one of those guys that Bob Labonte, Terry's dad, you know, he's one of the top five guys in that garage area in my tenure there that, that just – he he commanded respect, right? right? He, just, yeah. he just had that personality. And there's so many funny, funny stories with those guys and the kids, Bobby and Terry. And but but you know, going back specifically to that hundred fifty thousand, that you know, you're a, you're in a little bit different era then. Also, I mean, you know, it's not as things are not at that time weren't buttoned down and tightened up the way they are now. And you're just trying to race, man. You know, if you race and you succeed and you run good and you win somehow or another at the end of the day, it'll work out. Right. And, 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 and Hagen gave Terry his first shot. So I'm sure that, yes, played, sir. I'm sure that played heavily on Terry, uh, on his decision about the 150. And you know, when he did that also, the other part of that is when he gave that 150 to him, he was a little bit vested in the team. So he actually yeah, yeah. made him feel probably like he had skid in the game, you know. Yeah. So a part of that, you know, goes a long ways. And then, uh, you know, to come back and drive years later for him, it just says a lot about Terry. And actually it says a lot about Hagen because some some owners will do that to you. And you know at the end of the day all they're doing is who doing you because they've done other people that way and all. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure this deal with, with Hagen and Terry, it was not a feeling like it. It had to be a feeling like, you know, Hagen's a good guy. He's doing all he can do, spend all his money to keep this thing going. I'm going to do my part, right? And yeah. I'm sure that's the way Terry felt about it. And believe me, if it would have been – if Hagen if Hagen would have been a, a crook – A J.D. Stacy, A J.D. Stacy, <laughs> that type. Yeah. Some, so many other names we can come up with here real quick. Real quick. Terry wouldn't have felt that way. And right. He wouldn't have went back to drive for him. But, you know, what that tells me about Billy Hagan is he was a heck of a guy. I think it is so interesting that you say that about the motor coach lot and the party that it would be with Terry and Bobby and Schrader. Now, obviously, Schrader's not really that big a surprise, but Steve and I talked last week about Terry's interactions with the media. Mm-hmm. because, and I said it last week, and I'll tell you, when I had to go do a story about Terry after a race, I kind of dreaded it. Right. right. Because you would go up to Terry and you'd say, hey, good race, and he'd say, yep. Yep. And that would be it. <laughs> That'd be it. You know, he wouldn't elaborate. <laughs> you had to pull it out of him. Yeah. But for you to say that about the motor coach lot, mm-hmm. is it simply a wall that people have with the media or is that just specific well, you think I, to terry i think with that was probably just to terry somewhat i mean i and me but personally i you know i i didn't have any walls between me and the media because that media helped me get to where i got to right and i had to keep uh working on that relationship and always did but some of the guys you know i, I tell people uh, it's kind of like dale earnhardt dale earnhardt was as you probably know one of the hardest guys in the garage area for anybody to get to know Right? You don't say. Yeah, yeah. And he, he had that, we called it. He yeah. had that shield around him. Yeah. And he absolutely refused to let people in there. Yeah. You know, I was one of the fortunate few that 
few that got to be inside and live in that shield inside of Dale and got to know him well. And, you know, there was always this deal where Earnhardt did that, protect himself and on and on and on. But I tell people all the time, the deal with Dale, it wasn't to protect himself. I, I truly, honestly, to this day, still feel the same way. I think that shield was to protect him from, or rather to protect the fans and the public to actually finding out what kind of person Dale Earnhardt was. Because the person that I knew, yeah, great, great race car driver, tough, or cowboy, intimidator, and all that. But he was also this big, big, big-hearted pussycat. Okay? A very big-hearted... <laughs> are we talking about uh, the same... About the we are not talking about the same dollar. No way, no how. People, knew, <laughs> if people just knew 10% of what this guy yeah. did for other people, right? Yeah. If people just knew 10% of what he did, you'd be amazed. But the, the Dale, it's kind of like smoke. Smoke's the same way. I mean, smoke is, is rough and tumble and fiery. And oh, let's not even go down that road, man. Come on, man. Everybody bad at it. <laughs> but when you get to know Tony, the real person, he's yeah. just a great, big-hearted person. And Dale was that way. So we could argue about that if you'd like to, but I just know that's the way it is. Was with like. But anyhow, <laughs> getting back to Terry, Terry was just quiet like that. You know, yeah. he didn't intermingle like that. But what I'm saying, when you got to know Terry real well and, and – you know, he had your trust and you had his and all. It was just a very, very, very unique human being in, it, in that just very engaging that you wouldn't think as a journalist. He was engaging, but he's very engaging, very intelligent, and just funny as hell. <laughs> and maybe let his guard down a little bit. You know, Terry came to Steve's house there in Charlotte to do this interview. And I think Steve and I were both just a little bit, I don't want to say shocked, right? but I think we got to see a little bit of the Terry Labonte that you're talking about in the motor coach lot because he was a almost completely different person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he engaged us, he talked to us, he elaborated, you know, he was, you know, let me tell you this story. So, you know, it was a great conversation. Yeah. Love doing that. And most of the guys were that way. Uh, you yeah. know, most all the guys, I mean, some of them were hard for you guys in your business, in your world, you know, some of them made it hard on you. I understand that. And, uh, no, never, never, <laughs> but, but you know, for the most part, you know, most of the guys were just genuinely good people, you know? So Terry talked about the $150,000 that he never got back. He mm-hmm. talked about not getting paid. Did you ever have a situation like that go yeah, down you in know, your my, career? My, my career in, in that deal started years ago, a little track here in Virginia that the promoter wrote me a check for $25,000 and course i put it in the bank monday and of course it bounced and uh i've still got the check at my house <laughs> now i will say over a period did of you frame and, it uh, no i did not <laughs> but i will say over a period of year and a half that promoter would come to my shop about once every two weeks and bring me a couple money bags full of fives and tens and <laughs> he ended up paying twelve thousand four hundred of the twelve thousand five i mean of the twenty five thousand so actually i used that money in 1984 85 to buy my first super speedway car banjo matthews type car. did you really robert g did the body and all that that's what enabled me to go full-time in the bush was that money from that bad check but i guess that started my career of having trouble with getting paid sometimes <laughs> you know i was very fortunate the years i spent yeah. with with uh richard jackson and u.s right. tobacco you yeah. know, were six years there there's never any problems you know the couple years with butch mock with Remington firearms never never any problems even the year i drove for kale you know and they didn't really have a good sponsor you know kale was paying for a lot of that out of his pocket never never any kind of problems you wow know? but you know, as, as the old thing goes, it's just, it's just the way things happen. And, and yeah, I had I had a couple battles on my hand, and I had one owner. He had one owner owed me quite a bit of money, and I had to, you know, I had to sue him, you know. And mm, uh, yeah, uh, 
you know, we it was all it never. I never did understand because he owed me and said he was going to pay me, but he just wouldn't pay me. You know, yeah. And we had to sue and had to go through all that crap, and uh, you know, finally got squared up on that. So yeah, if you're a race car driver, especially in the days that I came through, and you you go through your whole career and don't have to go through that at least once or twice, you've 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 been very lucky. Let's put it that way. Well, it isn't limited to drivers. No. Because if I had the money that I was owed for some of the stories that I've written over the years, especially when exactly. I was getting started. Exactly. Yeah, buddy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if it's any worse yeah. in our sport than it is any other endeavor, you know, in the in the country. But, you know, you just it's uh it's just part of the business. It's just part of the business. Terry also talked about leaving Billy to go to drive for Junior Johnson. At that time, Junior Johnson, that was a coveted ride because Terry was the one that replaced Darrell Waltrip. Mm -hmm. That was walking in high cotton when he went to that team. I know that you know Junior fairly well. What's your best Junior Johnson story? You know, I don't really have a lot of stories about Junior that's worth talking about, I guess. But, you know, a couple things come to mind with Junior. You know, there was this crew chief that everybody knows, and I think we're in Phoenix, and a crew chief that everybody knows, and he's with another team, and something went on. I don't even remember what went on, but something went on. And this was, man, this was probably mid-'90s, so Junior wasn't a young chicken at that point, you know. And something went on during practice or something, and I looked up, and this crew chief was up in Junior's face, right? <laughs> yeah, and the next, the next thing I know, this crew chief is laying on the floor. On his hind end. On his hind end. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. That's what everybody tells me about Junior. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the stories I hear about Junior. All right, that's what they mean. Holy cow. All right, I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed. But, you know, Junior was always loyal to these people. You know, he's very loyal to a fault. I know when he went to – see, how was that deal, Rick? Maybe you can help me. I think it was documented in in a scene somewhere when he switched to Fords and Ford, he had a Ford cylinder head, and somehow or another – he had such a good relationship with Chevrolet over the years, and he let the Chevrolet exec just look at the head, you know, and take it. And when Junior went to pick it up, he couldn't get it. Finally, he went to pick it up. It was at Hendrick Motorsports. Ooh. And uh, I think that's documented in one of the scene stories. Yeah. And that really, really, I remember Junior, if he could figure out who to put on their hind end when, when I remember him talking about oh, it, yeah. there would have been 20 people. On their hind end when that happened, so that <laughs> he was going to clean house. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that 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 was a that really stuck in in Junior's crawl when that went on, and uh, yeah, but he, you know, I mean, golly, he's just such a legend of our sport, and I loved him a lot. You know, we go down there to Flossies, we go to Northworks, bro. I went to it one time when I wasn't even driving for Junior, but the guys were all kind of knew each other, and they had become to Junior's Flossie the week of the 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 uh, Northworksboro races. Flossie would have people over. And have fixed big breakfast for everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I was I was fortunate enough to get to go to one of those one time. So uh, very classy, sweet lady. Cool, cool experience with Junior Johnson. Now Terry also talked about joining Hendrick Motorsports. Of course, that's one of the elite teams in the sport, but it was his first multi car team. And I'm pretty sure, Rick, that you never drove for a multi car team, did you? No, the the closest I had was the Skull years. Right. I, I was Skull, and Harry Gant was Skull. Right. Well, my owner was Richard Jackson, uh, team owner. Uh, Harry Gant's team owner was Leo Jackson, and Leo and Richard were brothers. Yeah. The And that's about as close as the thing went. We did a lot of stuff sponsor-wise together. I mean, Leo and his team was based in Asheville. Richard and our team was based in, in Mooresville or, or Denver, Charlotte area. And, you know, there wasn't really any 
any cross-pollination or, or uh, information sharing. None of that went on between the two teams. So, you know, it, and that set up a little weird deal, you might say, because we would go with the functions with Skull. When Skull, U.S. Tobacco would have us go to their functions and do different things and spend time with them, we'd all be together, me and Richard, Leo, Harry. In fact, A.J. was sponsored. A.J. Foyt, he was sponsored by Skull then or Copenhagen, uh, Snake Perdome. And uh, what they would do, they had a mansion. In, in West Palm Beach, Florida, one 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 block down from the Trump deal, Trump estate, right? <laughs> and, I mean, it was decadent, yeah. man, big fancy deal. So we would go down there in the winter for one week, and all of us drivers and our wives would go, and all the UST SCOTE executives would go and uh, just spend a week there of pure decadence. And then in the summer, when we had that week off after the July 4th race, they had another mansion in Watchill, Rhode Island, and the same group would go up there, okay, and, and, and have a big time. So... So it was a little bit awkward when we were all, me and Richard, Leo, and, and Harry were together, and we was talking about the cars and the teams and all. It was just a little bit awkward because there was no information sharing hardly went on. Those two brothers loved each other, would do anything for each other, but they also were very competitive with one another. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. That set up. So, you know, the, the multi-car team, I mean, as you know, Rick, it, that thing was tried so many times, and it failed so many times. Yeah, when you yeah. were coming up, a two-car team was not – No. That was a bad deal. I and, mean, I remember when yeah. when, when Daryl was Junior's driver and he brought in Neil Bonnet. I mean, Daryl – I mean, you thought the world was going to come to him. If you, if you go, go back and read some <laughs> yeah. of the scene stuff, yeah. some of Daryl yeah. Waltrip's quotes, you'd have thought the world was going to come to an end. Yeah. And uh, it, it seemed like it, it, it carried on for years. You know, and it brings me to a point now – to where, you know, Hendrick was probably the best at it. He mastered it, making that thing work. But then I noticed with the shakeup last fall with Knauss and, and Jimmy going the separate ways, I remember Mr. Hendrick saying to Chad, Chad, this is your team over there now. You take it and you do what you want with it and make it go. So it tends to make me think, you know what, we're still, maybe we're still not 100% perfect to where we want to be with these multi-car teams i don't know but anyhow that's the state of our sport right now so it has to work now when you were coming up would you have wanted to drive for a multi-car team yeah, or I did you want to be the only rooster in the hen you know house? i had a chance to drive for jack rouse once and did uh, you really I, I turned it down and because of that no not because of that i just had i'd already made a verbal agreement with another well actually it was the year i went with remington with butch mock when wow. I, I made a group verbal agreement with butch and i hadn't I hadn't, we hadn't signed a contract yet, but anyhow, Jack came to me and Mark was pushing. Mark had pushed it to Jack to try to get me to come to him. And to be honest with you, if I hadn't made the verbal agreement with, with Butch, I'd, I'd have probably did the Ralph steal. And, and one of, to me at that time, one of the attractions was having more than one car, having more than one team, because I, you know, I look at, I always looked at the race car, I have to give you a little history lesson here and bore everybody to death, but where I was from, the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, there's no asphalt racing around us, no NASCAR. So I come through the late model rocks or ranks. We have to go out of way away from our area. We go to Hickory area, you go to Caraway area or South Boston area. You had these little groups of drivers, right, from each one of these tracks. And those guys always knew exactly what the other teams were doing because they were around each other. Well, he here I didn't I didn't know what anybody was doing. So I had I, I kind of took a, a engineering uh, a slant at racing, and it happened it happened because I drove a I had a Plymouth chrysler kit car one time and i worked with their engineer when i was very very young wow working on okay. kit car so he taught me a lot of things about the engineering aspect so what happened i i, I realized I, somewhere over the years I, I realized that a race car is nothing but a piece of metal okay with geometric forces acting against it 
uh, and aerodynamic forces and all the fuck. You got fluid dynamics, everything going on. That's the way I viewed race cars. So I, I kind of took an analytical approach to the chassis and everything that I, I learned about the chassis was self-taught, but but kind of from an engineering standpoint, when I didn't have an engineering degree, okay? Yeah. I mean, went through row centers and, and, and all kinds of stuff. Let's just say no words that polar moments of inertia and all kinds of crap. But anyhow, I had all that stuff figured out. Polar? Wait, polar, polar moment of inertia. That's the center of where everything revolves. That'd I'll take like your word you, for it. Like I'll you, take your word for it. would be like you and your relationship with your family. You're the polar moment of inertia <laughs> in your family, Rick. So, so anyhow, so I had that approach. I had that mindset. I always did in the Bush series and, and got the cup and it kind of got taken away from me a little bit because you got other guys making all the decisions and you're not really as involved if you, as you want to be or, or really in my case as involved as I should have been but the deal the deal with going through a multi-car team especially a team that had a bunch of resources I could tap into a lot of things that were yeah. going on yeah. mechanically wise yeah. right and that 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 really intrigued me and looking back that was one of the things probably one of the moves I made that maybe I've been better or different better if I'd done something different polar moment of inertia of inertia yeah. you said that i was the polar moment of inertia for my family that's right once i figure out what that means <laughs> i may be offended or i no, may no. take that as a compliment <laughs> it's the center of where everything revolves around let's put it that sort of Sort of like that. I got news for you. I've got news for you. You ain't it. The the polar moments of inertia are my twin sons who are seniors right now, and the world definitely revolves around them. Okay. (laughs) I'm Rusty Wallace, and you're listening to the Scene Vault Podcast. Rick, something that Steve Wade and I have been doing on the podcast, we've gone back into the archive and we've taken a look at different issues of Winston Cup scene over the years. And one that I really wanted to talk about that seemed appropriate since I was going to be talking to you is the October 24th, 1994 issue of Winston Cup scene. Small bit of trivia. That's the last issue of Winston Cup scene that hit the newsstands before I came on board as a well, there you have it. There you go. You know, there it is. So, you know, that was before my reign of milestone, terror. A milestone. That was before my reign of terror started. So, the paper carried coverage of the 1994 AC Delco 500 at Rockingham, a race that I'm sure that you remember pretty well. I do. It was, you know, we had a period of a couple of years there where we were just bad to the bone at Rockingham, you know, and we hit on a couple of things that worked. And that particular race, I don't remember all the particulars. Here's what I do remember about that race. I knew all day long if things would go right, we could win this race. The car was that good that day, and we led a bunch of it. Well, we were, you know, we got past the 400-mile mark, hidden down to the 500-mile mark, and whatever went on, I ended up leading the race, right? And we're trying to get to the end without problems. And But here's the deal. It would take my car, when we made a pit stop precaution, it would take me about 20 laps yeah. for the car to really get going. And once it set sail, there's nobody could touch our car. It was just bad fast that day. And, again, it would take about 20 laps. Well, we were getting down towards the end of the race, and I don't remember the lap number. I don't know what it was. But I'm like, all right, we got this, baby. I'm leading. It's all done. Friggin' Daryl Walter decides he's going to wreck up in turn three and four. I come around there, and there he is, his damn nose stuffed up in the wall, wreck. And the caution comes out. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man. So anyhow, we pit. And when we do, from the lead, when we do, uh, Earnhardt beats us out. We come out second. And I think I had Kevin. We were scrambling, trying to either pump the tires up or take wedge out or something. Our car was a little bit tight for the first 20 laps, and it would get good. And we, I think – 
we weren't really prepared for it at that point, you know, for a, a quick caution. Maybe we, anyhow, we made a little bit of adjustment. We didn't do enough. They dropped the green. I, for some reason, I'm thinking it was like 20, 20 laps to go or something. We have to read the issues to find out. But, you know, we, we set sail on green, took off under the green with a few laps to go, 20 or whatever it was. I mean, maybe not that many. And, you know, all I could do was just kind of hang with Dale. You know, I could run with him, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't faster than him at that point. And then, with three or four laps to go, everything started changing. My star car, my car started coming in, and I started running him down, back down. And you know, we get to the last lap. You know, he had another lap or two. I'm sure I'd have got him. You know, it's just, it's just the way fate fell so many times in my career and a lot of drivers' careers. Things just don't work out. But you know, and Earnhardt won the championship that day. But I didn't really care about that. I just wanted to win the race. You mentioned doing well at Rockingham. You'd finished third that spring at Rockingham. You've qualified eighth for this race. What was it about Rockingham that suited you? You know, I don't know. There, And I tell this, I've told this many times about race car drivers. There's something, when you're at a racetrack as a driver and you're going around, you're practicing, you, for some reason, some certain tracks with certain drivers, the car, you as a driver, you know exactly entering the turn where the car needs to be, where you need to get out of the gas. You know exactly where you need to get in the gas, and you know exactly how that car has to feel at every three or four feet of the turn. You, as a driver, you kind of know instinctively this car needs to be doing this at this point, needs to be doing this at this point, needs to be doing this at this point. And if you got a good relationship with the crew and things are working right and you got some good stuff, the crew can make changes and you can get to that feel. You know what I'm saying? Not, not, you know, that's what, well, that's what every driver does at every racetrack. But there's certain tracks with certain drivers that you know exactly what that car should feel like. And if you hit on something with changes to make it do that, you know you've got it. That place was like that for me. Dover was like that for me. Uh, I've talked to Mark about it. Uh, Mark Martin, Dover is exactly like that to Mark. You know what I mean? He knew exactly what his stuff had to feel like at, at, at Dover at certain parts of the racetrack. Not every driver can have that feel for every single racetrack. It's just, I've never heard or met a driver yet that knows exactly what his car needs to feel at every two or three feet of every inch of the racetrack, you know, and how to how to go about getting that. And Rockingham was not an easy place to get around, especially that turn two, yeah, that's from what, what I understand. I know, and that's what was crazy about my deal there, Rick. I don't know I don't know why it worked that way, what the deal was, but, you know, I'm sure I could go down 60 years old down. I guarantee I could go down there right now, hop in a race car, and get around there three or four laps, and I could tell you the car needs to do this, this, and this because it was always that way with me at, at Rockingham. You know, some other tracks were that way, but my best two for that feel was always Rockingham and Dover. You were leading early in the race, lap 86, right. and you get together with Greg Sachs. That's correct. In the paper, you kind of owned up to it. No, it was my mistake. Yeah, you said in that issue, you said, I was leading the race early <laughs> and acting like an idiot. I went down there and ran into the 77 car and wrecked, tore up my car. I thought it was all over. The car was really in bad shape. It knocked the front end out of whack and the rear end over, but they finally got it back pretty good. What do you remember about the deal with Greg? They, uh, I remember I remember a little bit of that. I, I just remember going in turn one. I was lapping Greg and got in under him down the front stretch and went in turn one and just lost the back. Took a little bit of air come off my spoiler and uh, just got into him, right? and uh, messed my car up. I think it probably messed his up, too. But I learned a lot about aerodynamics that day. That was a weird deal. We come back, and the guys, every every caution, every pit stop, were coming in, the guys were jacking on it and working on it, you know, trying to get it all squared back up. They had everything they felt squared. The steering wheel was straight on the car. Drivers know what that means. So I knew my toe was okay for the most part, and, you know, it was driving straight and all that. It had everything fixed, but the car would go in the turns and it would just bounce. The back 
the back of the car would just bounce. It was the craziest thing. And it, it felt like it had a shock broke or a shock locked up. And I kept telling him, I said, guys, there's something in the right rear. Is there something wrong with the right rear of this car? It's either shock broke, it's it's locked up, or it's come off, something's wrong. They finally ended up changing the rear shock on that thing under caution. and it didn't hurt, didn't lose a lap. And what they did to fix it, the, the, when it hit the right rear, it had it had it pushed the, the right rear of the trunk forward, right, and buckled the trunk up, the trunk lid. So there was a void. The trunk lid was up above the quarter pounder. Quarter pounder. Quarter pounder. Man, I'm hungry. <laughs> Come on, bring me the golden arches. Jeez. Anyhow, it had, it had bowed the, 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 the trunk up above the quarter pounder, and it had a, a hole there. Well, they the crew guys finally got to where they could do some body work, right, yeah. on one of the stops. They pushed that thing down, got the trunk back where it was supposed to be, and taped it up, got to sealed it up. I went back out there. The car went right back to the way it was at the first of the race before I had the encounter. You know, that's what I learned about right rear aerodynamics on a race car. I'm like, okay, we got to start figuring, thinking about this, guys, and studying on this. So, uh, you know, but, yeah, we got it fixed and come back. And when we went to, gosh, I had a good run there. Even after the school years, we had a good run going with the uh, Remington car. I think we were running second or third, doing real well, and I think we broke a camshaft maybe a couple of years after, yeah. later on in my career. You came back from that deal with Greg, and you get the lead a couple more times, but Earnhardt takes over, and you're chasing him down in the last few laps. And that last lap, mm-hmm. man, yeah. uh, just just a little more, just, just a know. little more giddy up. You came off turn four. Your back end is all squirrely. Darn near got him. Yeah, you know, and I remember thinking. I remember one time. I'm, I remember looking up, and maybe Rick, about five laps to go. Because if you remember. That thing was always an odd numbered lap. You yeah. remember that? It didn't show five. Four ninety two. Yeah. Four ninety two. Yeah. 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 And I was in my head trying to think how many laps is to go. Oh wow. Yeah. And I'm thinking, all right, I got five laps, and I'm thinking, damn it, I need about seven laps. I remember yeah. thinking I need yeah. seven laps yeah. when I figured out it was five. So I remember coming down the back stretch once again and looking at the scoreboard and thinking, wait a minute, maybe I've, I, maybe <laughs> I've added this wrong. Yeah. So I'm sitting there trying to think how many more laps and running my ass off trying and running Dale down at that point. Thinking I need, I, and I finally realized it's no, it's I need two more laps than what they're showing, you know, and hoping the whole time that I was wrong, but I wasn't. I knew I had it figured right the first time, but I tried to, I tried to calculate myself right into a victory, and I, it didn't work. Now in the paper, you said after the race, I called Earnhardt, and I really thought I might have had a shot at passing him, but you know his bumper gets mighty wide yeah, there at the end. Yeah, and really, what he did, the very, you know, I had just caught him. I wasn't, I didn't even have a chance to work him yet. You know, caught him the last lap. Because that's how quick the, the cars were changing as far as my speed and his. And that's the way my car had been all day. It would just take a few laps and it would just set sail. And that's what was happening at that time. When I actually caught him in three and four, you know, he kept it right on the bottom and kept it kept he kept the lane closed. But if he even if he'd have moved up at that point, I still wouldn't have had enough momentum to get him that particular lap. I'd have got him the next lap with that same momentum because it was that much difference in speed at that point, which is a little bit crazy, you might think. But, you know, it just it just wasn't there. Rick Mass, be honest. Yep. If you could have gotten to him mm-hmm. and that bumper was still pretty wide, mm-hmm. would you have given him a shot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and only because he yeah. had one coming from me. 
And yeah. me and Dale were, were, were good friends. And yeah. Dale, always, yeah. Dale always helped me. He treated me like a redheaded stepchild. I mean, a stepchild sometimes, not redheaded. But uh, all through the Bush series, when I got the cup, he was always willing to help. He came up, you know, he. you remember the time he passed out at Darlington and went to sleep yeah, and all 95. that happened? When yeah. he, you know, we used to have the Rick Mass Classic concert and golf tournament here in Lexington. And uh, he'd agreed to come up that week to do all that. Yeah. And so there's a long, funny story about that. We can do it another podcast. But anyhow, he came up and did that for us and very gracious in it all but he wrecked me one time at richmond my first year and uh, that's a whole nother long story but and he wasn't <laughs> and it's detailed in the book yeah nascar's greatest race available at your local bookstore that's a cool book by the way yeah. i have to admit that's yeah. a very good very good book but anyhow you know he yeah my first victory oh yeah oh yeah no doubt yeah, I wouldn't have wrecked him, but I probably what would have happened more than likely moved him maybe the way he did the 43 car to win. You know, yeah. uh, I sit here and say that now. I don't know at that yeah. point in time. You don't know unless you're – when you're in the heat of battle, things are different. I mean, I, I never forget Johnny Hayes. One of his famous quotes is, you can take the most mild, meek, mild-mannered oh, person yeah. in the world, yeah. put them in a race car and put a helmet on, and, and they become Godzilla. They become somebody you do not recognize, <laughs> you know. Rick, that was – the third to last race, you had Rockingham that year, then you had Phoenix, then you had Atlanta, then you had the off season. Is that a race that you replayed in your mind? Maybe woulda, shoulda, coulda. What could I've maybe done differently? Not, not really. I don't. I don't dwell on those things. I have twenty one races in my career that I look back at, knowing saying if this hadn't happened or that hadn't happened, I had a shot at winning that race. Because, do you know all of them? I do. Because those are the ones that stick in my mind because, you know, we just did everything right. The car was paired properly. You know, I had communicated, the crew communicated. We had done the, the right chassis work, everything. It was, just, it was a fit that day. And it was just a matter of getting to the end of the race, you know, and, and something not happening. That particular race there, Rick, funny enough, you know, I don't, I don't consider it one of those 21 because— Do you not? You no, know, because, because uh, I wrecked myself. I made a mistake in that race, you know. If if I hadn't had, had taken myself out and had spent half the race working on the car, I may have had a lap on somebody, or, or you know, had a much bigger, larger lead, or something would be different. You know, what I look at, I look at Pocono and a distributor. I look at Charlotte and a water pump. You know what I mean? I look at Martinsville and a left front shock. I look at Michigan and a left front upper A arm control bracket breaking. That's what I look at. Those failures, right? Yeah. I don't really look at – I don't count those things when I made mistakes for things. Yeah. I shouldn't say out of my control because all those things are out of control. But uh, Richmond, a rear end gear. North Wilkesboro, right front. You know, I did, uh, oh, Martinsville, left front tire going flat with 35 laps to go. Right? I, I, can, I, can, wow. I can name them all, man. Wow. If you just get to yeah. the end of the race, you've done enough – You've done the right things, and your car is is dominant enough to win the race today. If the brakes, the last, the last run, and it all it always always works out to your last run after your last caution, your last pit stop. You know, if you if your brakes worked out, you didn't get screwed up in the, in the pits or whatever. You know, and everything was everything was the same as it was. The last run, you got it, uh, without problems. That's kind of the way I look at those things. Rick Mast, one of the longest running jokes between you and I is my first Bush Series book. <laughs> yeah, you call it a joke. So, yeah, I'm still, second I'm to none. Stung back. Second to none, the history of the NASCAR Bush Series. Go ahead, let it out. No, let not, it out I'm for all. Gonna, I'm not going to do it. Come on, man. No, no. 
Okay. So this, go ahead. No, you do it. I'm okay. Do now it. I'm gonna. Okay. If you don't do it now, I'm gonna play the clip of you and Ricky fussing about it on the mass cast. <laughs> so let's have it. Let's have it. Well, as you know, Rick, you wrote the book about the history of Bush series, and my name wasn't even in the damn book. I mean, I, I, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I was at the very first Bush series race when it was a Budweiser race, the first year. If you remember, oh. when the Bush series, the Bud series. Now, I wasn't a regular runner for a number of years yeah, from 85, yeah, yeah. but from 85 to when I left in 90 or 91 to be a cup driver, I ran all the full seasons, won a bunch of races, you know, won all the stuff. Everybody loved me. You know, everybody knew me. The media loved me and knew me. They write a history of the Bush series. Hell, it wasn't even in the Bush series. I'm like, who is this guy writing this story? Yeah, evidently, he's not a very good journalist. Oh, oh, <laughs> or something. Uh, wait, Maybe, well, wait, honestly, I where's thought, that knife? I remember thinking, get that knife out of my back, man. Come on, time, did I do something to offend that this this Houston <laughs> guy? Maybe that's what it was. But no, it's all in jest. It's all in fun. All right, Rick. Here's the deal. You and I have had a conversation about your career in the Bush series, and here is a little clip of that conversation. Uh-oh. I'm sitting there thinking, because I'm a rookie, don't have any idea what I'm doing. And I'm sitting there thinking, why in the hell don't, why don't that guy, Harry Gant, why don't he pass me? What is he doing? Just laying back. And I remember looking one time coming off, then turn two. And I remember just having to glance in the mirror, and I saw his knuckle, I saw his hands swapping, like he's slotting flies, yeah. like steering wheel. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. He, you know what? He's not past me. He's not past because he can't. I'm faster than him, and he can't pass me. Wow. It dawned on me. Like, yeah. I'll never forget yeah. that feeling. Well, they had a caution, maybe 18 to go or something, and every, you know how tires are at Darling. Everybody pitted. Well, I didn't have any more tires, right? Yeah. And if I had, I didn't have fast enough crew to make much happen, but I didn't have any tires. I stayed out there and uh, didn't pit because I didn't have any tires put on it. You know, we were out of tires for the budget of what I had <laughs> or what I had was wore out. The tires had already run. So anyhow, they went back to green and they went by me, man, on both sides. I mean, we finished like sixth or seventh. And I remember loading that thing up and all the drive all the way back home. I remember sitting there thinking, okay, all right, I proved to myself I can do this. Yeah. If this is a proof yeah. that everybody always tells me you got to have, you got to be able to run Charlotte and Daytona and Darlington and them. If you know, those tracks, if you're going to be a cup driver, then I have proved myself this is it. From that day forward, from that ride back from Darlington, from that day forward, I made it my life's commitment to do whatever I had to do to become a Winston Cup driver. And that's how – that's really that's really when the thing got real, real serious, Rick, that's after that race. Now, listeners, if you want to hear the full story of Rick Mass' Bush Series career, go on over to Patreon, and it's exclusive content for my Patreon supporters. You can talk until nighttime about your Bush Series career, and I will make it available to my Patreon supporters. How about that, Rick? Man? Sounds good to me, dude. Sounds good. Go how, listen. Go listen. How much can I put you down for? Uh, whatever we got here. I get tired <laughs> or hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash the scene vault podcast. PayPal.me slash the scene vault podcast. If you have any questions or comments, except for you, Rick Mast, <laughs> scene vault at yahoo.com. We'll talk to you next week.